what to make of the political meltdown in Israel? Well, I've gotten this question from a lot of our subscribers over the last few days. I recently had a conversation on the Commentary Magazine podcast with John Podhoritz, Abe Greenwald, and Noah Rothman. John interviewed me about what actually is happening in the Israeli political situation, where it's going, what does it mean for Naftali Bennett, Yair Lapid, Bibi Netanyahu. So we're dropping a special episode today of the Call Me Back podcast where we're taking that conversation I had with the commentary crew and turning it into a dedicated segment to get you up to speed on where Israeli politics stands and where it's going. This is Call Me Back. Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Tuesday, June 21st, 2022. It is the summer solstice. I'm John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. And joining us today, Startup Nation author, Call Me Back podcast host, friend of the podcast, Commentary Inc. board member, and all-around Great guy, Dan Sinor. Hi, Dan. Welcome. Hey, to the John. Podcast. And yeah, and Dan. live live guest at one point at your Palm Beach podcast. And was a big a, moment. One of uh, one of our only live guests ever. And you were there in part to talk about what we are going to ask you to talk about today, because what we talked about in Palm Beach <laughs> has now happened, which is that the Israeli government, the jury rigged Israeli government, uh, led by Naftali Bennett. And yet your Lapid has collapsed or has basically committed suicide. Um, and uh, so for an interim period, uh, Bennett has stepped down as prime minister and Lapid. Uh, these are two heads of two minor parties. Uh, Lapid will become interim prime minister until elections are held in October. Why so late, you may ask, because of the Jewish holidays uh of rosh hashanah and yom kippur and uh various other things that 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 mean that they have to stretch out until the end of october so dan uh though everybody was predicting the demise of this coalition from the minute that the coalition was formed then it really is a fascinating and unprecedented experiment in governance in israel um what actually happened here is something that uh, nobody in America really understands and that represents an unbelievable act of political four-dimensional chess gamesmanship by the, the, the Israeli politician non-pare uh, Bibi Netanyahu. So maybe can you lay this out for everybody, what happened? Because it's kind of crazy, a law that nobody even knew existed that was coming up for a completely pro forma renewal has yeah. turned out to be the weapon that BB used to engineer the downfall of this government that has kept him out of power. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we should we should at some point get into talk a little bit about the lessons of this this model of government, because there's nothing like it that's been tried, certainly in Israel and anywhere else in the Western world that I know of. Uh, in terms of such such a broad rainbow coalition, but in terms of what where we are now, what actually brought the government down, just to get um, very technical, but it's important, is there is a law in Israel that uh, handles the regulations and rules around how Israeli citizens living in Judea and Samaria 
are respected under, treated under Israeli law, meaning that there's military authority in the West Bank, in Judea and Samaria, but there are hundreds of thousands of Israeli settlers, citizens of Israel, who also live in Judea, Judea and Samaria. And there's a law that, that basically applies Israeli civilian law to them, the way their taxes are collected, the way their health care is provided, the way they vote in elections, et cetera, et cetera. That law no one really pays attention to, but technically that law must be extended every five years, the way the, the statute is written. So every five years, there's actually a vote in the Knesset. It's typically just a pro forma vote. It's not controversial. Most everyone on the right votes for it. Everyone on the center right votes for it. Even the center and the center left typically votes for it. The, the parties that don't vote for it typically are the hard left and certainly the Arab parties because it is in a sense being viewed as it could be interpreted as blessing the occupation. But anyone concerned about just the normal functioning of Israel as it stands now until there's a permanent resolution with the Palestinians recognizes that those Israeli citizens living in Judea and Samaria should be able to live as regular Israeli citizens under Israeli law. That law, the five-year extension, is up right now. And the the uh, the opposition, led by, by former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, has been looking for opportunities to create, to sort of exploit the chasms within this coalition because it's such an ideologically diverse coalition and break the coalition apart. He's been poking and poking, and he identified some opportunities that failed uh, over the past year. He, he wasn't able to do it. But on this particular issue, he was able to do it because you normally don't have a coalition led by someone from the hard right, Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, his party, Yamina. Yamina in Hebrew literally means like the translation is is translation to English is further right, like a party that's going to move further right, even further right than Likud. It was his party was founded to be on over at Likud's right flank. So you had on the one hand someone like Bennett and his allies, Ayala Chaked and others within the coalition who were obviously going to vote for the extension uh, of this law. And then you had the an Arab party, the Ram party, a Muslim party in the coalition. You had the Merits party, hard left, you know, so you had hard left and Arab parties in the coalition that would never vote for it. Now, Bennett and many of his allies in the government just assumed, and by the way, Lapid was was prepared to vote for it because, as I said, the center and even the center left don't have a problem with it. We should explain that Lapid's party mm-hmm. is actually three times the size of Bennett's, of Bennett's party. party. Bennett, Bennett was prime minister with a party that until six weeks ago or something had a grand total of six seats out of the right. 120 in the Knesset, but Lapid's party... To- totally unprecedented by, in Israeli politics. Again, right. typically in Israeli politics, historically, the party, that the, the prime minister of the country is the leader of the party with the greatest number of seats in the Knesset right. and or, or in the government. So you right. would have like the Labour Party with 20, 30 seats. The leader of the Labour Party builds a coalition and becomes prime minister. Benjamin Netanyahu, for years, prime minister, you know, Likud would have 20, 30 seats. They were the largest party within the coalition. Bennett, to your point, John, had six seats, whereas Lapid's Lapid's party had multiples of that in his party. Like 18, right? Right. I mean, he had like, so he had three times the number of seats, but he was not acceptable enough to the parties of the even further right uh, to Bennett. And so this thing happened where Bennett with six seats ends up as head of the coalition. And then about six weeks ago, 
he three different members of his party of Bennett's party of Bennett's party Yamina resigned or or I mean I don't quite know or they left the government yeah they didn't, well, they didn't well resign it's important to say sunset. that this whole coalition because Lapide could not form a government even with his party that that had a large number of seats Lapide goes to Bennett and says let's form a partnership and we will rotate as prime ministers. Then I get to take your six, seven seats, depending on when it was, add them to my party, and we'll cobble together a few others. And then we can actually get to 61. We can form a government. Right. 61 is the majority because there were 120 right. seats in the Knesset. Right. So Bennett had incredible negotiating leverage in this situation because Lapide could not form a government without him. So Bennett said, fine, we will form a partnership. We will be rotating prime ministers. We'll each serve as prime minister, but I'll be first. Bennett said, I'll be the first prime minister and you'll come in after me. And and Lapid agreed to that, which then created this bizarre situation with Bennett, leader of one of the smallest parties in the Knesset, becoming prime minister of Israel, which on the one hand was very impressive. And I've had guests on my own podcast, people like Mika Goodman, for instance, who've marveled at at uh, what an accomplishment this was and a, a great moment of political compromise that these very ideologically diverse leaders could come together and form a government. And, and it was, it was something to be studied. And I think there's some, some truth to what Mika Goodman and others have argued, but the, but at the end of the day, you also recognize Bennett was an incredibly weak prime minister because he had no political base within his own government. He had nowhere to turn within his own government for support. So he was constantly negotiating, not only with members of his own party, which, as you point out, John, started to pull back and say they were not going to be part of the government anymore. But he but he had a very he was constantly negotiating with the Muslim party and left wing parties. And so it ideologically just became unworkable, which many people predicted. It was just a matter of when I I, for one, did not expect this to be the moment. I thought there were many other fault line moments that would have broken up this coalition and it didn't up to now, and it was impressive that it didn't, but this is a, this is a bizarre situation. So basically, did. Bennett had to resign in a weird way on principle, which is to say he had to quit because by quitting and ending the government with this caretaker government, that law that had to be affirmatively passed next week or the citizenship rights of – Israelis living on the West Bank would have been imperiled. Right. The government had to fall so that that law would become would automatically yeah. renew. So, so that's the explain. genius of what Bibi did here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so let me just uh, so j- just because because it's a, it's a little technical. So the law says every five years, the law has to be formally extended. The Knesset has to form has to vote on it, and it's normally a formality. If the Knesset doesn't vote on it then it's automatic there's an automatic 6 month extension built into it bennett assumed he would have the votes for it either in his own coalition or since the opposition is dominated by the right of course the right is going to support this of course the opposition will support it because they're supported by the settlers to vote against this is effectively to vote against the settler movement and what netanyahu engineered was no 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 prime minister bennett don't take these right-wing votes in the Knesset for in the opposition for granted just because they are they are aligned ideologically on protecting the settlers if it means over this vote 
at a, as a process matter, we can bring down your government. That's the priority. And the settlers will understand it because they're sympathetic to bringing down your government. So do not count on on the right wing parties in the opposition to give you cover on this vote. So then Bennett and Lapid, in the most bizarre situation over these last few days, go into negotiations with the Muslim party and the hard left party in their own government, begging them to vote for a bill that will give protections to Israeli settlers. And the and the Ram party and the and the other and other left wing parties, factions within the coalition are like, are you kidding me? We cannot vote for this. So so he I mean, it was like so he had nowhere to go. And um, and it, it really did. I mean, you know, Ron Dermer, who is on my podcast this week, but a, but a couple months ago, he was he was on my podcast. And so he Ron predicted- Dermer was Israel's ambassador, is an American who made Aliyah, is, was Israel's ambassador to the United States and one of the closest aides, Sari Atem, to Natan Sharansky and then to Bibi. Right. So, I mean, he's, he's Netanyahu's alter ego. And yeah. he tried to be objective in, in this podcast conversation I did with him. And he was, he was analytical, but he obviously clearly, like Netanyahu, is very resentful of this coalition for understandable reasons because they argue that that Bennett in the last election made clear he would never sit with Lapid, that he would sit with Bibi, but he would not sit with Lapid in a new government. And then, of course, he 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 didn't sit with Netanyahu and he did uh, form a government with Lapid, a government that would ultimately make Lapid prime minister. But what what Ron Dermer argued in that conversation was at the end of the day, this is a coalition. While the Mika Goodmans of this world and others will marvel at the incredible feat of political compromise uh, that was that was necessary um, and that was accomplished to form this government, at the end of the day, this government was about one thing, which was opposition to one man. It was a coalition that that whose only fuel and 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 almost like uh, links links among the various factions within the party were were hardened by opposition to one man being in power. And that was Netanyahu. And once once that that is Netanyahu is not in the frame. Ideologically. There's problem after problem after problem and internal tension after internal tension after internal tension. And there's no way a government that is so not just unaligned, but actually an open conflict on so many core issues. There's no way a government like that can survive. And I, I actually think good Mika Goodman and Ron Dermer were both right. Right. I mean, I think, I think that this government accomplished more than even some of its biggest skeptics like Dermer um, would have predicted, right? They, they passed a two-year budget and passing these budgets in Israel are very hard to do. Uh, Even hard to do for, for a government that's ideologically aligned and they passed a two-year budget. So that was impressive Two, Israel had a really rough last few months. I mean, it's one of these periods where, where Jerusalem day, which is often the source of a lot of tension with a lot, a lot of these marches in the old city in the Jewish quarter that, some would characterize as as provocative by you know marches by set by 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 right wing Israelis yeah, who are ce- celebrating is, the unification of unification Jerusalem. of Jerusalem and then march into Arab neighborhoods and right. go yeah 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 basically so hardcore so hardcore religious Zionists uh, protest in a way that some characterize I think it's overstated uh, that's that's provocative and um, can inflame a tense situation and it happened to overlap with Ramadan. Uh, so it was like a powder keg uh, waiting to happen. At the same time, you had 
the street violence, which we know about, the stabbings and shootings uh, in Israeli towns and the spike of a different kind of terrorism than Israel has um, typically experienced. And so things got really hot uh, over the last few months. And this coalition basically held together despite that. I, I actually thought that was I thought some kind of domestic flare up between Israeli Jews and Israeli Arabs, which you saw around Ramadan and Jerusalem Day, or another Gaza flare up, another Israeli Gaza war, similar to what uh, uh, Israel experienced in the final days of final weeks of Netanyahu's last government. Uh, I thought those would have been one of the dynamics that that would be the dynamic that would break up this government, primarily because the Ram party, the Muslim party would say, there's no way we can be part of this coalition, Mr. Bennett. What, when you're taking such a hard line, because Bennett was pretty hard line, actually. Some would argue even more hard line than Netanyahu in dealing with these terror threats in terms of the tactics he was willing to use. I thought an issue like that or the budget would break up the government. I would have never imagined this sleepy law that literally gets re-extended every five years as though like and no one's paying attention would be the would be the would be the issue that broke up um broke up the government but it did and that, like i said netanyahu's been looking for these these pinpricks to kind of test the the whether or not the 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 ideological tensions could break and he found it so look if you love politics i just have to say that if you if you love politics as a spectator sport you know i mean you're watching you know i don't know who you're watching you're watching michael joy i mean you're watching a man who is better at the raw functioning of politics in Bibi Netanyahu than any other person alive on this planet. Nobody could have predicted this because he's the only one who saw it on the chessboard and figured out that this he could make this move. Now, here's what's interesting. We go to October. Bibi knows, and this is also this is the thing in the background of why this happened now. Polling in the last two or three weeks has shown a surge Bibi's numbers when when Israel when when you see polls of 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 Israel, they calculate how many seats each party would get if the election were held today, as opposed to percentages the way we do. You know, that Biden would get forty three percent. So you see it party by party. So Likud Bibi's party is back in these polls at thirty six, double the number of any other party's representation. However, if you tally together the kind of government that Likud could form based on all the political analysis, even with this surge, because I think he got 30 seats or 29 seats in the yeah. last election, yeah. so he would have been back to 36, which is what he was at when he formed his government in 2017 or whatever, he still can't form a government. He's at 59. He's yeah. not at 61. So um, we're back in this amazing situation in which uh, there were Bibi's government, there were four elections in which no, no one could get to an outright majority from 2019 to 2021. Four elections. So Bibi just remained prime minister until finally this thing was cobbled together to 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 take it away from him and you could see the same thing happening in october of 2022 maybe well uh right so the, the election slated for october uh the question is 
I mean, there, 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 there are a few inputs that, that you have to consider. Right now, you're right, based on the public polling. Now, now, not to get, again, super technical here, but under Israeli elect, election law, you, you, you need so, – so you get, you get a, a seat for every percentage of the vote you get, but there's a threshold of 3.25%, meaning 3.25% gets you about four seats. If you get 3.25% of the national vote, you get about I think, four seats uh, in, the, in the Knesset. If you fall below 3.25, if you get 3% or you get 2.5%, you get zero. In other words, you, you, it's not like you can get one or two seats. The, the law says you have to have a minimum of 3.25% of the vote. And with that, you get your four seats and then you can build above that. But if you get less than that, then your seats get reapportioned um, to other parties. There is a push right now. The leader, I think, of of United Torah Judaism, one of the one of the right uh, wing Orthodox groups, Orthodox Jewish religious parties uh, in 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 Israeli politics, is is apparently introducing a bill that would bring the the threshold down to one point two five percent, which would make it easier for seats for parties that just win one or two seats to still get their seats. Netanyahu is, from what I understand, behind all of this. So there's there's some move to make sure that parties on the right that get fewer seats don't lose those seats. So that's the first thing. The second thing to look, the two people to watch are Gidon Saar and uh, Benny Gantz. So Gidon, Saar's, Gidon Saar was a member These of These are both Likudniks. Well, Gidon Saar. Well, not, not, yeah, not, yeah, not yeah, Benny Gantz, but yeah. so he was actually Saar. speaker of the Knesset, Gidon Saar. Yeah, and he's and he was a longtime Likud uh, Knesset member, you know, been involved with Likud politics for some 20 years, broke off in opposition to Netanyahu, started a new party called New Hope. Um, he has six seats right now in the Knesset. If Netanyahu can figure out a way to bring him over to the Likud. Right now, he's saying he will not join the Likud. He will not fold back into the Likud. He will not partner with Likud. He will basically not enable a path for Netanyahu to return to prime minister. I'm not sure that's his last, his final word, uh, because if you look at the polling, he runs the risk of actually falling below the threshold and losing all his seats or at least polling worse than, than he currently has. So there may, and he's currently justice minister. And I don't think he wants to go from being justice minister, prominent role in the government to having nothing. Um, so, so he still may be in play. Uh, so John, when you talk about the, that Netanyahu is still not North of 60 seats, it's, it's assuming that Gidon Saar doesn't break and come over. The other one is Benny Gantz, current defense minister, uh, leader of Kahol Levan, the blue and white party. And Gantz, who feels that he got screwed by Netanyahu in nineteen like, like every like everybody else in Israeli politics. 202021, 20, where he and Netanyahu worked on a rotation agreement where Netanyahu would serve as prime minister in, in in the in the first year, and then in November of twenty-one, he would hand over the premiership to Gantz. But in June of twenty-one, Netanyahu figured a way to break up the government, go to new elections, denying Gantz's opportunity to ever be prime minister. So Gantz hated Netanyahu and feel, felt that Netanyahu completely double-crossed him. The only person Gantz hates more today than Bibi Netanyahu is Yair Lapid. And Gantz has eight seats. He's part of the Bennett government. He does not want to be part of a Lapid government. And according to public reporting, there have been intermediaries between Netanyahu and Gantz meeting. So there is a world in which Gantz moves over to the opposition and helps Netanyahu form a government. They could try again to... A form of rotation. So there are still, I mean, yes, 
Netanyahu's not at north of 61 in public polling, but there are still a lot of cards to turn over. And Netanyahu's negotiating with Gantz's people, with with Gideon Sar's people. There's this push to reduce the threshold to empower smaller parties on the right to have more representation. So I, I still think there's a lot of maneuvering uh, to, to play out over the next couple months. That could Abe? Yeah, I have a question. <clears throat> what is the status throughout all this of Bibi's court cases? Yeah. Um, and is it safe to say, as it looks, that the those issues have not hampered him at all in in his sort of fight back to 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 power? The cases are dragging on. I mean, I I saw Netanyahu in February in in Jerusalem, uh, met with him, and at the time he was focused on three things, which w- were which seemed to be in this order, one, figuring out how to engineer his return, two, working on his memoir. So he's working on a book, which I actually think will be um, pretty interesting. He, he hasn't, he hasn't uh, penned a, a book in something like 30 years, uh, a little less than 30 years. Uh, his last book was Place Among the Nations, which was, which was very good. And this, is, this, is really his, his, this book is going to be his life story. Uh, and, um, and then he was working on the legal his legal cases and the legal cases seem to be taking up. This is just my impression. It's nothing he said to me. I'm just was observing just my sense of the situation. We're taking up the least amount of his time uh, because they were dragging on. One of the cases in particular is, is hit a bunch of um, roadblocks from a, from the prosecutor standpoint. And, uh, and I, so I, I, you know, they're, they're not getting the attention they once were. And I think Netanyahu or the people around him at least believe that he becomes prime minister of these cases really 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 slow down there was a push to get a um a bill attached to i forget which bill i think it was the bill that would dissolve the parliament dissolve the knesset that would make it virtually impossible for someone who's under indictment and fighting um these kinds of charges in court to serve as prime minister obviously this bill was designed to target netanyahu so it would it would make it impossible for Bibi to serve the bill failed um to pass so i i don't think his I mean, we, this is not a, this is not my judgment on the situation. I just, I just said an analytical point. I don't think the legal cases are an obstacle to his return. I mean, they're also not a legal obstacle. They're, they may not be a political obstacle to his return because the longer these go on, uh, the more the holes in the cases become apparent. They are, they are weak. I mean, right. they are they are weak, weak cases. And I, I would be perfectly happy to say otherwise. If I believed otherwise, I hold, you know, I'm not here holding a brief for Bibi, but um, a lot was going on that led to the to the decision to prosecute him for this. A lot of the politics that were going on here and the pressure that was put on uh, Mandelblit, the attorney general who allowed the cases to go forward, um, that is very hard to separate out from the fact that he had been prime minister for 12 years and that the entire political establishment, including a lot of the political establishment on the right, uh, was sick of him, and and he had made so many enemies and wanted to see the back of him. But this will be, maybe, you know, with the exception of Trump getting reelected in 2025, maybe one of the single most extraordinary uh, resuscitations in political life. Well, I, I will say uh, just two, two, two quick points. One... Uh, he is trying right now to Netanyahu is trying right now. I think it's difficult. He's trying right now. So, so, so basically 
the bill that determines the dissolution of the Knesset, each side, the government has its own bill to do it, and the opposition has its bill. So it's basically on whose terms would the government be dissolved. Now, under the opposition's bill, under Netanyahu's preference, is that he that there's there's not a caretaker government led by Lapid, which is what will happen if if the government the Knesset's dissolved. Caretaker government led by Lapid for the next few months until an election. Netanyahu's preference is that a new government is formed, a new caretaker government, but a new government is formed with the existing Knesset. So if Netanyahu can cobble together 61 seats within the existing Knesset, so force, force the vote of new com- no confidence, and then a replacement government is formed that he leads. Now, presumably, they still go to elections under that situation, but at least he's the interim lame duck prime minister when they go to elections. Now, why is that important? From what I understand, it's very important to Netanyahu. When he was prime minister during those four failed or four elections that failed to lead to a government that you cited earlier, John, he was always the interim prime minister. He was always the lame duck prime minister during those interim periods that, as, when Israel bounced, you know, uh, hobbled from for, hobbled from from election to election. He so he still had power, and that power mattered to the religious parties and the religious groups in Israel and the settlers, because he still could apportion, he could deal with appropriations of funding and, and all sorts of other issues. So it mattered to those parties that Netanyahu was still in the seat and he was able to use that to keep them loyal to him. If he's not the interim prime minister when he's running for prime minister, which means he's not able to form a government after the, if he's not able to form a government after the next election, then he doesn't have that much. Uh, some of these folks are saying, you know what? We'll give you another shot. You're our guy to try and run again because we think you, you're the best shot at winning. But if you fail again, that you can't form a government, what do you have to offer us? You're not the interim prime minister that that is there holding things together until the next election. You can still take care of us. So him having even that interim power is important to him. Anyway, this is an incredibly revelatory conversation uh israeli politics is unbelievably interesting for anybody who's interested in politics it's important to note two things which is that one thing that bennett said uh yesterday as he was saying goodbye to his prime ministership is that one of the things that he was proudest of was in in handling uh the american the relationship uh, with the united states with the new biden administration wanting to re-enter the Iran deal and Israel opposing re-entry in the Iran deal in a way that did not jeopardize the Israeli-U.S. relationship. Obviously, a strong dig at Bibi for uh, for being so crosswise of Obama during the Obama presidency. But um, an interesting point, nonetheless. Though you know, I have to say that in my general estimation. <laughs> Uh, of course, the minute that the um, war in Ukraine started, any idea that that there was going to be a JCPOA, as we can see this week with right. the revival of new sanctions and things that Tony Blinken has been saying and all that, that this was a fool's errand to begin with, trying to restart the JCPOA, given what Iranians were going to ask for, and the fact that Iran is now hurtling toward uh, nuclearization. But it's an interesting point. Bennett, Bennett, did not discredit himself in this year as prime minister. I yeah, mean, and 
I, and I, he's yeah. young and he's yeah. young and Israeli he's not that young no no he is young I you know uh, I don't know where he goes that's but it's the problem not like, so, so but I, it's look, not like he's disgraced himself it's he's not, not like he goes off like Goldemeyer into the wilderness at the end I, of her political career I I would say that um but but you know some friends of mine who are allies in Israel of Netanyahu who have had made the point when they knew Bennett was you know, a little over a year ago was contemplating, was deciding between joining Netanyahu in a government or forming his own with Lapid. They they argued, and I was skeptical at the time, but they may have been right. They argued at the time that if Bennett is is the kingmaker for Netanyahu's next government, and he's always positioned himself as to the right of Netanyahu and has a party that's ideologically to the right of, the, of Netanyahu, he really becomes the heir on the right to Netanyahu. He's the best position to to um, build and expand and grow the, the right in Israel after Netanyahu. And if he partners with Lapid and the Ram party, you know, you know, the Muslim party, he'll never be able to inherit the right. And he's so he's gambling, you know, what they thought was at most he could be prime minister for a year or a year and change and then kind of be done because he will have compromised himself versus a longer term game, which was to, you know, to swallow partnering with BB for some period of time and then and then ultimately succeed him. And, you know, may, he may have been he may have had a longer, you know, he in 2019, he got he didn't meet the threshold in the tw- in yeah. that, those elections. He was he was wiped out of parliament and that could easily happen again. I will say one other thing, John. And OK, is one other enormous accomplishment, which we haven't spent time on, is, you know, many on the left and then the media and academia call Israel an apartheid state. And, and, you know, if Israel is an apartheid state, they're really bad at it because this government was formed also by another kingmaker, as we've talked about, which was the leader of an Arab Muslim party. It is pretty extraordinary. And in, 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 in Israel, in a Jewish state, the key to forming a government was a Muslim, an Arab Muslim party that basically they worked pretty well together for for about a year, which is extraordinary. And there are some who are going to say that that the failure of this government has proved that that was unworkable, that an Israeli Arab party cannot be part of the Israeli government. And my only response to that is it is not true that an Israeli Arab party cannot be part of an Israeli government. It means that an Israeli Arab party probably can't be part of a government that's being held together with a one seat margin. So if an Israeli Arab party is going to be part of a government, they should probably have a little more cushion, 65, 66, 67 seats in the government which would allow the Arab party to sit out certain votes and the government not not fall. So the lesson isn't that Arab parties in Israel can't be part of the political process at that level. It's just if if they're going to choose to participate, they can't be holding the whole government together. Look, Bibi's 72 years old. If he becomes prime minister again, we're looking at a race in 2024 in the United States between an 82-year-old man and a 79-year-old man. So who's to say Bennett made a mistake? Like right. BB's, you know, BB's a spring chicken uh, by, by some of these calculations. And so the only thing that is preventing him from being prime minister forever or really interfered or interceded with his continuing prime ministership were these legal cases. And if they go away or he is found innocent or whatever, um, there's no stopping him. At the very least, the one thing you can say about Naftali Bennett is that when the history books are written, he will be in that list of people who served as prime minister of Israel. And there just aren't that many of them. Right. Right. You know, I mean, there are some that nobody remembers like Levi Eshkol, hardly anybody remembers the name of Levi Eshkol, but you know, 
Yeah, he was Almost prime minister every... during the Six Day War. I know he was, but he's yeah. like right, the, one of the most obscure figures in, in in Israel's history. And everybody else, anybody who was even mildly literate in Israeli history, knows. And right. so there is Bennett, and and I guess Lapid too will find his name. Yeah, in the person that, to watch now, list. I think, is I mean Benny Gantz could be part of a future government. Gidorn Saar could be a part of a future government. The person I think to really watch who is going to be super a key player in, in where things shake out is Ayala Chaked, who's the who's uh, who's the interior minister now, a top lieutenant to uh, Bennett, the number two, uh, worked for Bibi, like Bennett, like many people who ultimately run against Bibi, uh, worked for Bibi years ago when he was in the opposition, and um, she she was in the Likud, she could come back to the Likud, um, and I think she will be a force in the, in the right. Uh, going forward, wh- whether Bibi's prime minister or not. So, Dan Sinor, as ever, as always, thank you so much for your 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 insight and your analysis. And everybody, go and subscribe to Dan's Call Me Back podcast. You can hear uh, musings on these subjects this week with Ron Dermer. Ron Dermer. Ron Speaking Dermer. of which, Ron Dermer. Yeah. Right. It's and... Ron Dermer's plan for how Biden can get the Nobel Peace Prize by engineering a formal peace agreement with Saudi Arabia. Right. Okay. Israel. So. Thanks. So Dan's going to Dan is going to do the thing that people used to do on Johnny Carson when they were big stars and not hang around for the uh, later segments because they have more <laughs> important things to do. So with that, we will say goodbye to him. And Thank I will guys. start talking about the X chair because that is what I have to do now is talk. About By the, the way, X John, chair. my dream yes. for a future guest appearance is I get to read do the ad read for the X chair. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, you are not on. Today. Not today. You are on. Not today. All right. All right. Good to see you. That's all for my conversation with the commentary crew on the political meltdown in Israel. It's a topic I'll be returning to in the weeks and months ahead. Lapid, Netanyahu, Bennett, Ayelet Shaked, lots of interesting and important characters. We'll be following it closely. Be sure to subscribe to Commentary Magazine, the website, and this Commentary Podcast, which is it's more of a niche play, kind of a boutique podcast, unlike Call Me Back, but I still highly recommend it. And please continue to listen to the Call Me Back podcast. The podcast is produced by Lon Benatar. Until next time, I'm your host, Dan Senor. Hold up. 